Georgia's DBHDD reminds people that the Good Samaritan Law can save lives during alcohol and drug overdoses. People are urged to call 911 and stay until help arrives. More information at opioidresponse.info. Here we go, the beginning of another week on Political Rewind. And I got to say, who the heck knows what is going to develop uh, this week? We are in the middle of just a crazy ride of intense news about politics in Georgia as we uh, continue to move toward the January 5th Senate runoff election. Uh, We're going to talk a lot about the debate that Kelly Loeffler and Raphael Warnock had last night. And uh, we'll get to that in just a minute. Uh, but there are a couple other things I'd really like to start with. And um, I, I, I let the panel know that although this wasn't kind of on the agenda for things that I'd suggested we discuss, I do want to talk for a moment about um, a couple of super spreader, potential super spreader events that happened in the state of Georgia over the last four days. And let me introduce the panel. And if, if they want to weigh in on this, I'm more than happy to have them do that. Monday, Jim Galloway is with us, as he is on Mondays and Fridays, a lead political writer for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. He continues to uh, write his columns for the Wednesday and Sunday paper and to oversee the Political Insider blog. Jim, it's hard to even begin <laughs> to write a list of all the things that have happened since you and I uh, were on this show last Friday. It's been an extraordinarily busy, busy time politically. Uh, uh, in, 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 in all of Georgia's political history, I don't know of, of, of one single weekend where everything that happened in Georgia became national news. National news. And we're going to get to a lot of that in just a couple minutes. Um, Professor Amy Steigerwald is uh, back with us. Dr. Steigerwald, of course, political science professor at Georgia State University. Also, um, one of in her portfolio of expertise is uh, the federal judiciary, which we always love having her on the show to talk about. But of course, whatever is happening politically, Amy, we're glad to have you with us. How are you? I'm well. Thanks for having me. I was going to say there there were a bunch of decisions that actually got handed down uh, right after midnight. So it's been exciting on the legal front as well. I okay. Thank you for uh, uh, mentioning that. We'll talk about that a little bit in a little while. Eric Tannenblatt is back with us. Eric, I often describe you as one of the most influential Republican behind the scenes leaders in the state of Georgia, which is certainly true of you. You've worked. Uh, with the Bush family for years, uh, helping the George H.W. campaigns for president, George W. campaign. Uh, You were with Jeb Bush uh, early in 2016. You uh, were a, a, a close advisor to Mitt Romney during his presidential run. You are also, and I said we don't say this enough because it's very impressive title, you are the global chair of public policy and regulation for Denton's, the world's largest law firm. I don't even know if we have the right to talk to you. You're so impressive. <laughs> on, on paper. On paper. <laughs> it's become apparent soon that I'm not as impressive in real life. <laughs> no. 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 Uh, you know how much we always love having you on, Eric. Thanks for being here. And we're joined Glad again. Be it's been a while, but we're really happy. We're really happy to have back with us uh, Nabila Islam, a former Georgia legislator. Uh, Nabila, you now call yourself a progressive strategist. You're working with a number of organizations on developing progressive agendas um, for the the state of Georgia moving forward, right? 
Uh, yes, I'm involved in a number of uh, initiatives to help get out the vote um, in the past election and in this runoff as well. And I'm actually a former candidate. I have not served yet. Um, so, but I am a, a Oh, I'm sorry. I called you a legislator. <laughs> yeah, of course you are. Of course you we, are. We can I, put it I, into I, the I apologize. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you. Thank you for that. Uh, Jim Galloway, all right, let me start with what I, I said I'd like to spend a couple minutes on. Uh, two super spreader, potentially, events in Georgia just in the last four days. Rudy Giuliani comes to Atlanta to weave his conspiracy theories about how Trump actually won the election in Georgia, but was robbed of it by uh, nefarious forces. He, if you look at video of his appearance in front of the Georgia Senate Judiciary Committee, uh, there are many people not wearing masks, masks and hugging him. He's not wearing a mask for much of his appearance here. And uh, we learned subsequently that uh, this man who came to a crowded Senate committee room uh, has developed COVID. Of course, we're, we don't want to see anybody get COVID-19, but uh, we're sorry to, to hear that he has. But, but Jim, I'm also worried about all of those people uh, who were in that committee room. Jen Jordan was on the show Friday. She talked about feeling too close to Rudolph Giuliani, um, and she's concerned about what might have happened to her. Elena Parent was in that uh, committee room, and she's worried about it. So all of those people who now are going to sit and wait for the next 10, 12 days to see whether they have developed COVID. It's really a terrible situation, Jim. Right. And, and it was entirely avoidable. Uh, we know we know we can do these things on Zoom now. Uh, it's not necessary to have the in-person theater, but, you know, maybe 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 uh, Giuliani's kind of theater requires that. Uh, it, it's look, I, uh, I we had plenty of AJC people in that in that room as well. Uh, and I'm sure I'm, I'm yeah. uh, uh, the uh, y'all. Stephen Fowler was there uh, also. uh, uh I mean, this was uh, this was exposing a whole lot of people to a terrible situation, uh, and then of course you had uh, the Donald Trump rally uh, in Valdosta on Saturday night. Yeah, that that was. There were thousands of people there. I mean, to 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 give Tr Trump his due, he is capable of attracting extraordinary numbers of people to see him, and the video of that. Uh, shows just how uh, big that event was. It was outdoors at the Valdosta Airport. Uh, nevertheless, the crowd was uh, in close contact with one another. There were no masks anywhere to be seen, with very few exceptions. And uh, even the people behind him. You know, during the camp, last weeks of the campaign, when Trump held these rallies, they at least had a an attempt to make the optics look good by putting the people uh, behind him in masks. Not this time around. And Amy Steigerwald, what I want to know is, how many people traveled to Valdosta to be part of this rally who are up now again, who live near where any of us live? And they're going to the supermarkets, um, having been uh, at, at that event, and they're not wearing their masks there either. I, I want to know just what kind of super spreader this event could become. And the reason I get irritated about it is, you know, Amy, I close every show by saying, among other things, please wear a mask. It's a difficult thing. And, of course, um, you all know that my dad worked at the CDC for 42 years in the Infectious Disease Division. So, obviously, I have kind of a interesting uh, relationship with all of this, in particular with, um, well, 
science and, and medical research, but it's disconcerting. And I think it's also difficult because, of course, you know, a rally being in Valdosta is very close. Uh, those of you with, you know, Georgia geography to the Florida border. So I imagine that there are also lots of people that like if I was in Florida and I was a Trump supporter, I totally would have driven up, especially because it may not be um, all that far. And it does then create the possibility that there are um, these events happening, especially at a time when it was also reported on the exact same day that we had the highest number of coronavirus cases in the state. And so the concern is that this there is, in fact, a global pandemic. Um, people are getting sick and it is being spread. I mean, I think it's probably more concerning the hearing that was held because that was indoors for long periods of time um, and sort of how close people were and things like that. So that definitely gets into that sort of close contact. Um, but there's a concern about the rallies as well. And I, in all honesty, just hope everyone is OK. Eric, this should not be a matter of partisan politics. And, and I'm sure that you don't think it, of it that way. And I would be willing to bet anything that you go out wearing a mask. And yet, and yet, uh, these are both events that were dominated by Republicans who just don't want to acknowledge the virus is real somehow. Well, look, uh, uh, yes, to your question, I do go out with a mask. Uh, married to a doctor, have elderly parents who are at high risk, and uh, we're very cautious in, in our family. It's a personal decision. You know, for the lawmakers that went down to the Capitol for the hearing, regardless of whether or not they knew Rudy Giuliani had it or didn't have it, and he didn't know at the time that he did have it, they could have chosen not to go. They could have participated or insisted on participating uh, via Zoom. Uh, you know, I have plenty of people that are involved in the Republican Party that chose not to go to Valdosta or to go to the rally for, the, for that very reason. So it's a personal decision. And, you know, people, you know, know that, you know, if they go, they're putting themselves at risk. And, you know, it's, it's up to each individual to make that decision. Nabila? Yeah, I thought these events were reckless. I mean, at the end of the day, uh, Donald Trump is as president and he's convening these gatherings. Uh, and I mean, we know how deadly this virus is. Over 200,000 Americans have died. Uh, not only that, a study came out a couple of weeks ago that showed that these Trump rallies uh, are linked to 30,000 COVID cases and 700 deaths. And so a lot of the folks that showed up at these rallies are the elderly not wearing masks. And, you know, if you do the math, it's probably going to lead to more cases. Uh, And I just think that we should expect more from our leaders. And it's really sad to see uh, what the what the president is, um, you know, asking folks to do. So, Jim, I just want to I don't want to spend too much more time on this, but but I do just want to kind of push back uh, gently on 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 Eric's comment. Um, Of course, it's true that People have a choice. If you want to go into a crowd not wearing a mask and take the personal risk, you could develop COVID. I suppose it's true that that is personal choice. The problem is you don't have personal choice to expose yourself to the virus and then turn around and expose my daughter, my son, your children, you to the virus. And that's where this whole notion of personal individual freedom that has become a conservative partisan mantra sort of breaks down, Jim. Well, uh, yeah, and and, and this is one of the more concerning uh, 
uh, areas of, of of the Trump era, and that is just kind of the the the, the breakdown of, of social ties. That, that that our sense of obligation to each other has has greatly diminished. Now you know, and and it's also one of the one of the penalties that we're paying for a, a presidential contest that that won't end. Uh, I mean, you know, if if okay, let 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 us say that uh, Trump's handling of, of the pandemic was central to to the Republican uh, to his his own defeat and 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 Joe Biden's victory on November third. Now on November fourth, that should have become a non-issue. But because we've got a president who uh, won't concede, who is who is trying to raise money uh, with 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 this denial to launch a 2024 campaign, uh, you know the 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 anti the, the anti pandemic attitude has has continued over these this last month and and probably will will continue throughout the winter, which is which is extremely worrying. Yeah, and Bill, I don't Eric, want I want to give you a you- chance. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to leave you with the impression that I think people should just go out and, you know, do what they want with no concern about others. I mean, that's absurd. That's why I didn't go. And that's why, you know, we're locked up in our house. I hadn't been in my office in eight months and I've been working out of the house. And so, you know, people, people, you know, make choices. And I think one of the things that, you know, I don't want to give it to anyone else. I feel horrible if I, uh, you know, knew that I, I did that. So, uh, you know, people have to have to make those their those choices. But when making those choices, they need to think about you know the impact it has on others. Yeah, I'm glad you I'm glad you expanded on that because that's the point. It's not just about what it does to you. It's what about it's what it does to your own community, whether it's family, friends, right. or whatever. So thank you for clarifying that. Um, all right, let's uh, let's move on and talk about the subject that uh, Jim Galloway has certainly uh, introduced this morning, and that is uh, the president's visit to Valdosta on Saturday night. Um, I think everything else that we're going to talk about today really kind of emanates from that visit one way or another. So uh, let's start this part of the conversation by listening to just a short excerpt. Uh, from what uh, President Trump had to say to his wildly enthusiastic crowd Saturday night. You know, we won Georgia, just so you understand. We're all deeply disturbed and upset by the lying, cheating, robbing, stealing that's gone on with our elections. We know the Democrats will have dead people voting. They have people signing their own name over and over. They have... They have people signing names with the same pen, with the same signature. They don't even change because they know once they get it in, it'll never be looked at. It'll never be looked at again because of people like your secretary of state and your governor. Jim, the conspiracy, the stolen election story just keeps growing and growing. I mean, for a while it was, oh, signature matches were not accurate, and that's how Democrats stole the election. What he just said on Saturday night is brand new to me. I mean, I haven't, you know, this is, again, expanding on the narrative of how this election was uh, stolen from him. Yeah, yeah, and he he laid down a marker. He, he, he in essence, prohibited uh, David Perdue and Kelly Loeffler, who who were kind of the beneficiaries of this rally, from from making any kind of statement uh, on uh, on uh, on on the result of the November third presidential election. And it's also why, on Sunday morning, you had this incredible array of 
local Georgia officials on on Sunday morning news shows. You had Jeff Duncan on CNN. You had uh, Brad Raffensperger on ABC. You had Gabriel Sterling on Meet the Press. And each one of them was there with a message that says the election is over. It was won by Biden. The people have spoken and we need to move on. Amy. It's somewhat ironic in that Georgia has had issues with election administration. Right? We garnered international attention for the problems that happened over the summer. And both the state and the counties really worked overtime to try to prevent that for the November elections. And they, for all intents and purposes, proceeded incredibly smoothly with very little problems. Um, Raffensperger and his office were really praised for their transparency in updating everyone about how the counts were going. Um, the fact that the risk-limiting audit turned into a hand recount of the ballots was actually super important in the sense of there were a number of people that were concerned about whether or not the uh, when the QCR codes were scanned that it would match up what was on the paper ballot, sort of this black hole of when they go into the machines. That showed us that, yes, that does actually work correctly. And right, we found that there was only a deviation of, I think, about a couple hundred votes. And so the, the irony of a lot of these attacks was that it was actually an incredibly well-administered election. And so it does make it disconcerting that there are so many people suggesting that there were these kind of massive widespread problems and we might not want to be able to trust it when this is one of the few times that I think, objectively speaking, you can come out of this saying it actually went pretty well and we know where the issues were. The things that happened were really very small. They were caught. They were dealt with transparently. Um, and so it is it is problematic, I think, sort of more broadly, that there is now a lot invested in sort of a political message that it can't be trusted when the reality of the actual administration was that we should come away from this actually feeling really relieved and quite proud of how all of the multitudes of election workers did. Nabila? I uh, echo Amy's sentiments. I thought this was a well-run election. Look, we've already had an audit. We've had a recount. We had another recount. The results have been certified. Uh, for Donald Trump to say that he won the election in Georgia is completely just crazy and asinine. Uh, and then to, to make these allegations that the election was stolen from him <laughs> is irresponsible coming from uh, the president of the United States. Uh, and then he made some wild claims. Uh, he, he was throwing... His own Republican Party leaders underneath the bus, uh, Brian Kemp and Raffensperger, uh, and then made some uh, weird comment about Doug Collins primarying him in 2022. Um, look, this guy is in denial. That is obvious. And he, because he can't, you know, went through the legal system, he's just trying to uh, stir up controversy. And, uh, and I also think that, you know, it's interesting because it's, I was thinking about it. Is this a president that's, you know, when he does realize that he's lost, you know, is he going to go away or is he, is he trying to, you know, remain as a force in, uh, you know, party politics in the Republican Party? Um, so I think he will be. And, uh, and again, I, I think that these rallies are unnecessary and putting lives at risk and uh, he just needs to accept the results. Um, Eric, you know, this is an extremely interesting and, and troubling, I think, example of what happens if you repeat a story over and over and over again. I, I got a Facebook 
uh, note from a listener to our show this weekend that, that made me think about uh, this with more specificity. And I, I don't want to read it uh, all. But what she basically said was, um, I'm not a supporter of President Trump's. I voted for Joe Biden. Um, I thought we had a fair election. I thought it was run accurate, honestly. But maybe there were some significant problems. I wonder if we do have to look at what happened here. Um, and, and Eric, that's concerning because it means that the president has over and over and over again created a scenario that leads otherwise thinking people to wonder if maybe there is something here. Well, it, it, it is it is true. You're absolutely right. But there there were um, some examples of uh, you know issues that were raised uh, through this election, and unfortunately, all you need is a few of those issues to prove out to be true. That people then start thinking, ah, maybe there's something here. I mean, I've had numerous conversations with very rational people over the last several you know weeks that from all over the country that, you know, are raising specific issues thinking, wow, maybe your whole election there, there were problems. Look, you're never going to have, and I think the lieutenant governor said this well, you know, you're never going to have an election that's perfect. You're always going to have issues. Now, I don't think the issues were as significant enough to overturn the outcome of the election. And I would imagine in this next session of the legislature, you're going to see some reforms to our electoral process. You saw that in Florida after the 2000 election. And, you know, people have short memories, although not that short. It was 20 years ago. But I remember I was a presidential elector in 2000. And I remember all of the Gore supporters thinking that there was this giant conspiracy. And I actually saved letters I got from around the country from Gore supporters. And even after President Bush was sworn in as president, there were still people that thought he was an illegitimate uh, president. So, you know, look, that, that happens when people hear things over and over again. But I think that the, the governor, the secretary of state, the lieutenant governor, now the attorney general, I think you need to have, you know, cooler heads will prevail. I think you're still dealing with uh, a lot of emotion uh, right now. But we will get beyond this. The thing that concerns me the most is I think this is a giant distraction from the January 5th election and all the time and energy that is being put into looking at all of these allegations and thinking there's some conspiracy uh, is taking away from all the energy that needs to be put into the January 5th election. I was glad that the president encouraged everyone to vote. I wish, though, that uh, we would not have started to relitigate November 3rd and we focus solely on January 5th. Um, it's worth, uh, Bill, it's, it's worth noting that uh, that. Uh, this is uh, this argument is also reviving some very some some far older issues. Uh, I mean, GPB's Stephen Fowler, uh, going through the uh, Sidney Powell lawsuit over the weekend, uh, discovered that there's an affidavit in there from Mary Norwood, the 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 two-time candidate for mayor of mm -hmm. Atlanta, who who says uh, you know that there was evidence of fraud in in her election, just not enough to to. Uh, to 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 change the results, or so she was told. So there's there's you know there's there's that lingering uh, uh, feeling right there. The other thing I'd like to point out is that okay, Trump has his own motives for 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 keeping this this falsehood going about about a fraudulent election. A lot of it is financial because he's he's they're raising a whole lot of money on on this. 
Uh, it's laying the groundwork for his future for future campaign. But in Georgia, you, you, Republicans lawmakers do have their own. They, they've got their own motives for 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 kind of uh, for 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 stirring the pot on this, and that is it does create a, a climate that will allow uh, Republican lawmakers to come through and make some very very hard changes to Georgia's absentee ballot laws. Uh, and and it uh, there I mean we're uh, uh, we'll be leading the jolt on 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 the gathering in Athens right now that that, that lawmakers are at where uh, where they're going to be discussing this very topic. Yeah, we might see that the uh, no excuse absentee ballot. Uh, 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 become a thing of the past if Republicans have their way. I think that's one of the things you're talking about, right, Jim? Right, right. I mean, with that, that was uh, that was, I believe, passed in 2004, and uh, you've already heard some talk about them wanting to go back to 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 the uh, to the system whereby you only get an absentee ballot if you're 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 65 years and older and infirm or physically out of the state. Should we not be making it easier to vote? I mean. Uh, voting is a constitutional right for every American. And look, there is no election fraud. What there is is voter suppression. And what these state Senate Republicans are talking about tightening things up basically means we're going to make it harder for black and brown people to vote. The end. And there are, you know, they're trying to control the results. And I say this over and over again. You know, when Republicans can't run on policy, they got to cheat. And I think it's absolutely unacceptable that we're having this conversation about how to make it harder for people to vote when we should be finding more options on how to help people to safely vote. All right, we got to get to a break. I will point out that there will be plenty of time to discuss uh, what may be happening in terms of potentially restricting absentee balloting in the um, in the literally the months ahead. The session doesn't start until uh, January and will go on for a couple months. So um, certainly there will be those who will uh, agree completely with Nabila's position and we'll also talk to Republicans who who think, in fact, uh, we do need to tighten our absentee restrictions. Um, but we'll have time to do that. Right now, I've got to get to a break. When we come back, let's turn and talk about the uh, Senate runoff election. And let's do it in the context of last night's debate. You're listening to Political Rewind. Thanks for listening to Political Rewind. If you like this show, you'll also like Georgia Today. It's a daily podcast from GPB News, bringing you compelling stories and in-depth reporting that you won't hear anywhere else. Join me, Peter Biello, for this quick and convenient way to get the best of GPB News' extensive coverage of the topics that matter to you delivered directly to your device every weekday afternoon. Dr. Amy Steigerwald, Eric Tannenblatt, Nabila Islam, and Jim Galloway with us on the show today. Jim, uh, uh, to uh, set us up in terms of getting to the Senate debate, uh, let's kind of continue the theme we, we established in the first section of the show. Um, you mentioned that over the weekend uh, we had uh, uh, Raffensperger and Gabe Sterling talking on the morning show, Sunday morning shows. Uh, let's listen, and defending the integrity of the election, let's listen to what Gabe Sterling had to say. At, at this point, it's, it's, it's a game of whack-a-mole, as we've been saying. The president's statements are false. They're disinformation. They are stoking anger and fear among his supporters. And hell, I voted for him. 
the situation is getting much worse, and it's, it's an environment that's been built out over years, and it's not just, you know, Republicans on this side this time, but even in polling up to 2019, up to 50% of Democrats think Russians flipped votes on machines. So this is going both ways. It's undermining democracy. We've got to get to a point where responsible people act responsibly. So that was Gabriel Sterling on Meet the Press. Brad Raffensperger was on uh, this week with George Stephanopoulos and said this. The people of Georgia spoke in this election, and obviously I'm a conservative Republican, disappointed in the results, but I said we'll count every legal vote and work hard to make sure that no illegal votes are counted, and that's what we've been doing. President Trump got 10% less votes in Cherokee County, which is a rich red county in this election cycle. Whitfield County up in northwest Georgia, less than 4.5%. And so really, at the end of the day, uh, the, the voice of the people were spoken. I'm disappointed as a conservative Republican also. Okay, so Amy uh, Raffensperger has made that point a few times now that the reality of the situation is Trump lost because he just did not turn out the votes that he needed uh, to win the election. Um, But okay, so all of that is unfolding over the weekend. On the way to to Valdosta, and this also leads us to the Senate debate, we know that on Saturday morning before coming down here, the president called Governor Kemp and urged him to do something he has no power to do, overturn the results of the Georgia election, call a special session of the legislature, and demand that the legislature appoint Trump electors to the Electoral College vote on December 14th. None of that is within, well, he could call a special session if he wanted, but the governor told Trump, Apparently, very clearly, I don't have the power to overturn an election. This election's been certified. All right. All that said, what does that mean, especially when Kelly Leffler walks into a TV studio last night and is asked, as she was repeatedly, uh, by Greg Bluestein um, and Lisa Rayum, uh, did Trump lose this election? Did he win the election? What do you think? And, of course, she ducked it every time. I think that it highlights that there's multiple issues that are going on with this that really in turn um, complicate the field for Republicans, especially back to Eric's point of they would really like to focus on the runoff. The problem is is that there's also an intra-party fight that is going on. There's one that is attacking the elected uh, Republican leaders of the state. Governor Kemp is actually the uh, co-chair of Trump's Georgia campaign, and he is now suggesting that I guess he's in a long-term thing with his arch nemesis to actually bring down President Trump, which when you lay it out like that sounds kind of literally insane. And so we're in this sort of real weird situation because what they need is turnout. right? This is going to be a race that's predicated on turnout. It does require... um, for each side to be able to both coalesce, mobilize their voters, and turn them out. And this makes it that much more difficult, right? It makes it that much more difficult to convince people to come and campaign for you if you may disavow their support or where they come in. Um, There's also the fact that I think one of the things that uh, Senator Leffler really needs to do, and she sort of hasn't been able to... um, and isn't sort of using the entreaties to do is really to introduce herself to voters. Um, it's very difficult to determine on some level what exactly are her positions and what is there for being dominated in the headlines or things like 
she is refusing to acknowledge that Trump conceded that Trump lost or that she's disavowing um, Governor Kemp. And that makes it really difficult, especially when, again, what she needs to do is mobilize voters, including those who didn't vote for her the first go round. You know, it's, it's Eric, uh, Bill. You c- uh, oh, go ahead, Jim. Go ahead, Jim. No, it, it is uh, to Amy's point. It's it's difficult to to, th- to conceive of a more diff uh, 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 awkward spot uh, than what Kelly Loeffler is in right now because she owes her Senate seat to 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 Governor Brian Kemp. I mean, he's the one who picked her and and put her in that spot. To keep that spot, she owes her allegiance to Donald Trump. Uh, uh, and 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 so she's she's kind of caught between be, be, between these two obligations, uh, and uh, I, I I don't I, I don't uh, envy her the, the next four weeks uh, in, in how she tries to navigate that. So I get that I but, but and Eric I want to get you into this uh, and, and then you Nabila but but I get that she's in an awkward spot, but I guess. And I know you don't mean this, Jim. Don't we have expect a higher standard from the people who are running for office or are serving in public office on our behalf? I mean, fine, she's in an awkward spot. She knows Donald Trump lost this election. She knows that the election probably was. She talked last night about the 250 investigations that the Secretary of State has launched. He does have uh, incidents that he is asking for more money to look into. He's asked the GBI to get involved. But Raffensperger himself has said they're not... Uh, they're, they're not enough. There's not a large enough volume to overturn the election. So, Eric, what I started to ask you is, you're, you come out of a long tradition of Georgia Republicans, going back to Paul Coverdale, to Johnny Isaacson. I mean, you were a supporter of Mitt Romney's. These are very different. This is a very different breed of Republican than we're seeing engage in this war to try to overturn the results of the national election and uh, the Georgia election right here. So doesn't Kelly Leffler owe us the truth about what really happened here, which is that uh, Joe Biden won? Well, Bill, I mean, look, in fairness to, to Kelly Leffler, she has people that are supporting her. That And, and, and I don't know where, where she is personally, but, but she has people that are supporting her that truly believe that there were issues with this election. And she highlighted the 250. And she has people like me who believe that the election, yes, there were issues, but the election uh, did determine that Joe Biden won Georgia. Okay, so she does have to walk that fine line. And she's running for office and she has supporters that are in both camps. And so I don't I didn't expect her uh, in the debate to to say, you know, send a signal to, you know, one group of people or another. I mean, she's walking a fine line. I think she did do what she needed to do and what she needs to do the next three weeks is she needs to define her opponent, Raphael Warnock. And I think after the debate yesterday, I don't even know if people know that his name is Raphael Warnock. They probably think it's radical liberal Raphael Warnock because she said it, <laughs> what, 10, 15 times. Um, yeah. Yeah. Did, did I interrupt you? You can complete that. No, no, no. And, and, and so, look, I, I think she's in she's in a, a, a tough spot. She wants to get all of the president's supporters back out to, to vote. And uh, she's doing what she what she needs to do. Nabila. 
you know, this is no longer the Republican Party, right? This is uh, the Trump Party. And so all of these uh, Republicans that are, you know, running for re-election, and, and in this case, Leffler, for her, uh, you know, the runoff election, they're having to play by his rules. Uh, we all know that Joe Biden won because uh, we're grounded in reality. And But there are a majority of, there is a large number of supporters in the Republican Party that think that this election is rigged. At the end of the day, um, we expect our leaders to lead uh, she knows better. And I understand that there's a lot of politics and politics and she has to play both sides. But it really is disheartening to see a U.S. senator uh, not be able to say who won the U.S. presidential election. Uh, and, 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 I says, and I think it was, it, was, it was feckless for her to uh, avoid the question and not answer it. Jim? Um, it, it, we need we need to emphasize here uh, um, one thing, and that is that that uh, that uh, late Sunday, uh, Governor Brian Kemp put out a statement that was very fairly fulsome that that says legally we cannot overturn he cannot overturn this this election. Uh, uh, you know, uh, we we in 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 the in in our in your in your Sunday morning news roundup, you left out uh, Jeff Duncan, uh, who was on CNN, who he said Joe Biden is going to be sworn in as the forty sixth president, and the Constitution is still in yeah. place. This is still America. That's that's an extraordinary uh, 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 comment right there. I mean, the, the just the fact that you have to say that, and then of course uh, this morning. Uh, you've had uh, Chris Carway in saying he agrees with Kemp. There is no legal footing by which uh, the electors, uh, the electors, Joe Biden's electors, uh, can be denied uh, 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 their status in in the college. And and just a few minutes ago, you've uh, within the, when the, while we've been talking, you've had you've had Brad Raffensperger in a press conference say that uh, uh, the, the state of Georgia will recertify the the the, the presidential contest for a third time. And Joe Biden still is the winner. Yeah, Amy Steigerwald. Uh, we didn't we didn't talk about uh, Jeff Duncan uh, being on CNN this weekend. We did though last week uh, play a couple sound bites of him. He's become a darling of CNN over the last couple of weeks, and I'm fascinated by the ground that he is staking out, which is to say. This election was was legitimate. We've got to get past it. We've got to start talking about GOP 2.0, uh, looking to carve out some kind of middle ground here. And two things to me are fascinating about that. One, he doesn't seem to have paid much of a price in terms. I haven't heard. I haven't seen the president tweet attacks on him. Maybe I've missed him. I haven't seen him get a lot of criticism from his fellow Republicans who support the Trump theory that this was a rigged election. But second, he also seems to clearly believe, and I'd love your take, and I want Eric too, that there is a place for more moderate Republicans moving toward 2022. I think so. I think one of the things that is really interesting is that in many ways, this was the same debate that occurred in the Republican Party after 2012. Uh, there was a sort of moratorium that was done on the election. There was a suggestion of what is it where the issues were. One of the um, kind of main takeaways from the report that was done was a need for an emphasis on kind of expanding the tent of the party and who was sort of bringing in the types of candidates that were being recruited. 
And the reality, though, was that we didn't quite see that, um, particularly with sort of Donald Trump's nomination and many of the sort of um, candidates that we've seen. And so it's sort of interesting in that sense that there really is that it's on some level a a replay of the same types of um, comments and, and arguments that we heard. And so it'll be interesting whether or not, again, it is listened to. I mean, that was done by that moratorium that I was referring to, right? That was done actually by the RNC, right? This wasn't coming out of like some group of sort of mm-hmm. small set of people. It was a, a big one, but we haven't seen that. Um, what we did see this year, which was, um, you know, somebody who studies gender and politics and, and identity and politics, um, almost every single seat that was won by a Republican uh, candidate that was a flip from D to R was won by a either a woman, a person of color, or a woman of color. Um, and so I think that that does show that that is the place where the party has the most ability to make gains. And the question is whether or not they'll be willing to do it. It does appear that's where the lieutenant governor wants to lead people, but I'm not sure how many will listen. Before we break, Eric, I want to get your thoughts on this. Yeah, so so I think I think the lieutenant governor has come across looking uh, like a statesman. He's been a, a voice of of reason. I mean, he's made it perfectly clear he supported President Trump in the election, uh, but that President Trump didn't win the election. Uh, but you know, we need to understand too that a runoff election is about turning out your vote, and the base vote of the Republican Party uh, are dominated by Trump supporters. But there's also people that, you know, may not be the strident Trump supporters that still are thinking that the election was fraudulent, but a broader base of of Republican supporters like the Jeff Duncans Mm -hmm. of the world. And so right now, what we need to do is make sure all Republicans, what they need to do is make sure that all of their voters turn out. Those that are the ardent Trump supporters that still question the outcome of the election. And then those Mm -hmm. that have already (laughs) concluded that, you, you know, President-elect Biden's going to be the next president. Uh, Eric Tannenblatt gets the last word in this segment. Um, we're going to take our final break of the show and come back with more on Political Rewind. Uh, hey, Jim Galloway, last night, as the debate was going to start, I had every I set up my computer put it in the record mode. I was going to record the entire debate, which I did, because I thought I can't wait to pull sound bites to play on the show this morning. And then I realized this was not, and this has no, no disrespect for Bluestein or Russ Spencer or Lisa Rayum, who were asking the questions, or, or even for the Atlanta Press Club, for that matter. But this wasn't a debate. This was a branding exercise, and and it's increasingly clear that more and more debates going on in races like this around the country are being reduced to that. And, you know, Tannenblatt's right. What people may come away with is not Raphael Warnock's name. Kelly Leffler said radical liberal over and over and over again. It didn't matter what the question was. That was her answer. Russ Spencer kept saying corrupt Kelly Leffler and her uh, 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 Raphael Warnock kept saying corrupt Kelly Leffler and her stock trades. I just don't know what we got out of last night. Uh, and not a whole lot because uh, each of these candidates who, who we must we, we must admit here are, are both new to the to, to the profession. 
uh, I don't think yeah. Leffler has never had a one-on-one debate uh, with 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 a Democrat. Warnock has never had a one-on-one debate with a, with a Republican. Uh, but you know, they're they're both are very disciplined candidates, and and it was uh, you know I, I, I'll, I'll refer you back to our our, our Friday uh, uh, edition of of Rewind when we had Rick Dent on, and this was basically uh, uh, Kelly Leffler's message was fear. Raphael, Raphael Warnock's uh, message was outrage, uh, 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 mm. fear uh, on Kelly's uh, uh, Kelly Loeffler's part, fear of radical socialism, uh, on uh, on uh, on Warnock's part, uh, outrage that 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 she and and David Perdue uh, m- might have profited off a pandemic that they they underplayed. Um, uh, Amy. Uh uh, somebody sent me a, a note last night saying if uh, Radical Liberal had been part of a drinking game, uh, she would have been drunk 15 minutes into the debate. <laughs> Kim is right. It was a branding exercise. Certainly that message was gotten across. Um, if you were trying to then cut a campaign ad from it, uh, she was certainly able to. Um, I think the question is, number one, and this is, you know, sort of will be perhaps upsetting called the political strategist, but the reality is people don't watch debates. Uh, they're generally not persuaded by the debate. You have a little bit of interest. Usually people tune in already sort of with preformed ideas. You might have a small number that we're turning in trying to be persuaded. And I guess the question is whether or not any of those voters who were really trying to make up their mind were necessarily persuaded by any of that and if it got across. Um, I think that perhaps what the two of them both sort of didn't do quite as well um, and that I think maybe Leffler did worse was defining who they are, right, other than just sort of trying to brand their opponent. The real question is, is what will she be voting for, right? What policies are she going to bring in? What type of senator is she going to be? What has she done? Uh, while she has been there. And I think there was um, an opportunity for her to do that that she did not take up. But whether or not people will respond to those terms, I don't know. Look, I think the big thing that she got across, and granted, there was also a national audience, too, on CNN and Fox were watching that debate, Mm -hmm. is that this election is going to determine the control of the Senate. And whether, you know, the Democrats are going to have control of both chambers of the Congress and the White House. And that is something that's scary. And I think people, especially suburban voters that may have voted for Joe Biden in the presidential election, may want to go out and vote for the Republicans in the Senate race because they want a backstop and they want divided government. And I think pointing out over and over and over again, and whether people got drunk off radical liberal Raphael Warnock or not from the drinking game, (laughs) is that, that he is going to be aligned with uh, I hate to say this, Nabila, but the progressives like Schumer and Pelosi and Bernie Sanders, and that's just not aligned with Georgia voters. And so I think if there was one thing she had to get across was that Raphael Warnock is not aligned with where Georgia voters are. And she is. And on the stock thing, I think that has played itself out. She has been exonerated. And I think that's just more politics. 
Well, I'm not sure it's played out given that the New York Times renewed last week with two articles, new information. But I understand your point, Eric. I, and we will be fact-checked. We're going to fact-check stuff like the stock trades. We'll fact stuff like the child ab- efforts to block a child abuse investigation that Warnock's been This is the sort of thing that on this show we're going to start fact-checking uh, in the days and, and weeks ahead. Nabila? Um. Last night's debate was interesting. Look, I understand both of them are first-time candidates. Um, I was the first-time candidate when I ran for Congress. Uh, but and Leffler was a Manchurian candidate last night. She sounded like a robot the entire time. She was just repeating the same lines over and over again. It sounded like she was reading off a script. Uh, Reverend Warnock sounded like a human being that cared. Uh, to Jim's point, uh, Leffler was trying to invoke fear. Uh, I think her, she's been trying to paint the reverend, uh, you know, as a dangerous, angry black man. And I think it's uh, low-key racist. Uh, and I feel like Reverend Warnock uh, really spoke to, you know, the, you know, the suffering that the American people are going through right now. I think that Georgia voters are hurting. Uh, there are thousands of us that are, out of, uh, that are unemployed, that don't have health care. Uh, we don't know how we're going to pay our rent, our utilities. Uh, we're scared to send our kids to school because, you know, we don't know if they're going to get COVID. There's a, there's so many things that are happening right now. And I think Warnock did a good job speaking to that, whereas Leffler was, again, just trying to strike fear. And I think that's the, why all her TV ads have been all negative messaging against Warnock, because there's nothing good to say about her. So, Jim, I, I get Nabila uh, Islam's uh, uh, criticism of, of Leffler's performance, but I also think it's interesting that Raphael Warnock, I don't know if what you noticed, but... Uh, here's a guy who's been in the pulpit for many years, and if you go to his church, he's a powerful, he's an incredibly powerful speaker. And I thought he was, I thought it took him a while to understand the ground in which he was operating last night. I thought early on he was a little unsure of himself, but by the second half of the debate, I think he did really start to feel it and uh, and and had what for him would be considered a better performance but but that's all optics jim yeah yeah i mean he had, he had uh, the the one line that that struck me uh, struck me uh, that he that he delivered well was that was was that you know that uh, he alleged that kelly Loeffler had had bought the seat uh, and and it had done well with her, but it was it wasn't her seat. Uh, but but you know it's it's interesting. You're right to point this out. I mean, the pulpit at Ebenezer Baptist Church is a very very different venue. Uh, it's 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 uh, uh, this is a very cool. The debate was a very cool medium. Yeah, uh, Eric, you wanted to respond real quickly because we're running short on time. Well, I just wanted to reiterate the point. I mean, this is a, a reverend who is before the, you know his parishioners every. I mean, he talks for a living, and so you got to remember that he did not answer the political question about the Supreme Court and whether he wants to expand it, which gets to the heart and, of whether he's aligned okay. with Georgians. And, Absolutely, as Leffler didn't answer questions about who was the next president of the United States. They both skipped answering important questions last night, which is why I said it was a branding exercise, not a debate. We're completely out of time. Eric Tannenblatt, love having you on. To be Islam, come back as soon as you can. Amy Steigerwald, you can come on every week. And Jim Galloway, I'll see you again later in the week. We're out of time. We'll be back tomorrow morning. Take care. Stay healthy. And yes, please wear a mask. And also start thinking about when you want to vote.
At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.